It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Right? And you never know what's going on in the back of somebody's mind. Welcome to the Coleman Catacombs, the podcast where a film buff and a bimbo rattle the skeletons in Roger Corman's massive cinematic closet. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Robin. And today we are covering the first film officially in Roger Corman's filmography, the first film that he got credit for being involved in. Yay! Episode one! Instead of episode zero. Exactly. So when we last left off with Roger Corman, you know, he'd gotten snubbed for credit for the revisions and other additions he'd made to The Gunfighter, left the U.S., had adventures in Paris. He comes back to the U.S. He does some more story analyst work for a few different agencies. He does some grip and stage work for a TV station. But then, inspired by a vacation that he took to the Salton Sea, which is south of Palm Springs, and seeing some beach houses on the banks that were getting flooded, he teamed up with a friend by the name of U.S. Anderson to write a screen story titled The House in the Sea. Now, a screen story is kind of like a film treatment. It's just the plot, character, setting, tone, you know, normally doesn't include the dialogue and everything's kind of compressed. It's like writing your own Wikipedia summary. I'm sorry. I gotta rewind. The guy he wrote this with, his name was U.S. Anderson? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It, it was, yeah, like, because his full name was, like... Oh, my God, that's the most American name I've ever heard! Please tell me this guy is from the South. <laughs> I don't, okay, I don't know, like, what part of the country he's from, but I did write down that his full name, it's, I may be mispronouncing this, Yule Stanley Anderson, because the U is, like, U-E-L-L, so that's Yule or U-L, I'm guessing. Oh, if you already think he's America, wait till you hear what else he did besides writing short fiction. He also was... He also was a football player and he wrote self-help books. I am not disappointed. <laughs> Telling people what to do and tackling people over a ball. America! Exactly. And so, like, they ended up selling that at Screen Story to allied artists and then some other people fleshed it out into a full-on screenplay. And it got retitled to Highway Dragnet because the studio wanted to capitalize on the popularity of Dragnet, which was a TV show running at the time that's kind of considered, like, the predecessor to the modern cop show. No shit. That sounds cool. Yeah, and, like, you gotta understand that also, like, the wider context of how it was, you know, easier for independent studios like Allied Artists to put movies in theaters because less than 10 years before the release of Highway Dragnet in 1948, the Supreme Court issued the Paramount Consent Decree, which basically made it where the major studios had to sell off their nationwide theater chains, and they also had to stop block booking. So, like, back in the day, there were literally, like, MGM theaters that only played MGM movies. Or, like, block booking was where you'd sell a package of, like, multiple movies to an unaffiliated movie theater, and it was basically a case of, like, oh, well, do you want, you know, to put butts in seats with our, like, highly anticipated, like, big blockbuster movie? Well, you're only gonna be able to do that if you buy it up in this package with, like, a bunch of other things that we made that aren't as high profile, but we that's our way of including them and getting them more butts in seats is by basically like making them the plus one of the big fancy movies. <laughs> okay. I did not know that. But because of that Paramount Consent Decree, you know, getting rid of that, it was now easier for smaller independents to, you know, squeeze their way in and get to their own, like, screenings at different movie theaters. Unfortunately, the Paramount Consent Decree is no longer a thing. Thanks to a Department of Justice review in 2019, there was a court motion to repeal it in 2020 with a two-year sunset period. I'll link below to an interesting Polygon article on the subject. But for, for now, for now, we are in the part of the timeline where that Paramount Consent Decree is still in full swing and it helps open the doors to independent filmmakers like Roger Corman who not only was able to get story credit for the movie but because of an arrangement he made with the studio he also got associate producer credit even though he didn't get the salary of, a, of an associate producer. It was mainly because he wanted that on-the-ground experience as well as the credit, because, you know, to help open doors in the future. And so Corman himself felt like the final film product didn't bring his vision to life like he expected, but I guess we'll find out for ourselves, you know, if we agree with that sentiment as to how it turned out. But first, let us take a look at the poster, which I'll also make sure to put up on our Instagram. So the upper half is the car 
are like about to break through a police barricade. And then the lower half is our leading lady not having a good time. Getting in, choked out. In one and corner. And then after in, she's getting choked out, she tries to pull a gun on him. And he's like, no, no, honey, you gotta fuck me first before you kill me. Or like, I don't know if it's happening, like if it's supposed to literally be like before and after, if like, if, if that's supposed to be the order of the sequence of events. But yeah, he's like up behind her. She's got the gun in her hand, but then he's like oh holding no, her hand and better. holding her arm. He's trying to mansplain how to kill him. <laughs> right. He's like, he's like doing the whole thing of coming up behind to help someone with the pull cue, but with a gun. <laughs> and the tagline, shock after shock, dot, dot, dot. Mile after mile, dot, 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 in Las Vegas's sizzling manhunt for thrill killer. Not for a thrill kill killer, not for thrill killers plural, just for thrill killer. Highway dragnet. Bad grammar. <laughs> but yeah, are you excited? I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited for, well, the only downside is, is I love how her getting choked out. It's like, if you needed to know that there, here's our first red flag. Yay! We love the red flags around here. <laughs> so we'll be back soon with our thoughts on Highway Dragnet. So we just watched Highway Dragnet. And first of all... <laughs> Warning, this film does come with a choking hazard, not because of the strangulation of women, but because of how much the love story, or what passes as a love story, was making us gag. Oh my god! <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like- Love is like a mortar shell. <laughs> you know when a mortar shell hits you, you know, you don't have to look twice. I guess fall in love the same way. Yeah! <laughs> this, okay. I've seen some circles refer to this as the noir. And for the first half of it, I understood because I'm like, okay, it's a crime thriller. There are some noir films that, you know, because normally when you think of like capital N noir, you know, TM, you're thinking of like, you know, PIs in like shadowy ass cities. But, you know, there's a bit of flexibility to that. You know, like there are examples of noir films that where the oppressive environment is less, you know, like these chioscuro you know cityscapes and more like the oppressive atmosphere of the heat of like a desert you know you've got gun crazy as far as neo-noir you've got no country for old men even body heat kind of counts even though that one's kind of a hybrid because it's still in a city but it's like it's during a heat wave so like it's less dark and shadowy and more just like everybody is sweaty and miserable <laughs> So like first, Missouri! Yeah, Missouri right now, especially. <laughs> but but like as far as, you know, this film, it does not stay a noir, at least in my opinion. Not, noirs don't have to be like completely depressing and have like endings where everybody dies by any stretch, but just like the love story gets so freaking sappy and it is not convincing at all. It's, that, it's at least hilariously sappy. <laughs> Okay, so first, to start off, when the movie opens, we've got our main character, James Henry, and he's fresh out. I thought it was Jim Johnson. No, it, that was his alias later on. Oh. So basically what happens is, like, we start out in Vegas. You know, they, of course, have an obligatory, like, establishing shot of, like, you know, the Vegas lights. And, you know, some things are recognizable, like that cowboy light thing that waves. That's still around. I've seen that in other movies. Really? Yeah, but there's, like, other stuff that definitely did not withstand the test of time in Vegas. Like, one of the casinos mentions that it's also an arcade. Because that probably would have been around the time that, like, claw machines would have been considered in legal in, in legal sense gambling machines I thought gambling machine like gambling areas were considered arcades I mean that I guess was the so old timey use of the word arcade yeah but I'm just saying that like yeah that was back when arcade had a different meaning than it does now that right. was back when it would have been more slot machines and possibly claw machines because claw machines did used to be considered gambling devices how old are claw machines I mean it doesn't take too much technical know-how to make a mach to make a mini crane that grabs plushies so we then go, we get into a view inside one of the bar casinos and there's James Henry, who's fresh back from Korea. He's a veteran and he starts flirting with this blonde woman by the name of Terry. And we get a preview for how promiscuous she is because like she shows off to him all of the combat medals that she's gotten from other guys that she's hooked up with. 
and she's bragging about how she used to be a model and she points to like a picture on the wall and he's all like oh Oh, you used to be pretty you were beautiful back then and it's like bitch she barely looks different right she's still pretty Oh my god, you jerk. Yeah, but so then she like tries to leave in a huff and he's all like, oh, wait a minute, get back here. And they kind of embrace and then we get kind of, you know, like fade to black. We can presume what she happens. kisses him after <laughs> the romance of this is hilarious. And that's not even the main romance though. That's not even the main romance. So that one's just a one night stand, presumably because she's drunk. Like the gender politics of this movie are not going to get any better <laughs> from here. <laughs> so then, you know, the next morning, he, on his way he only was stopping in to Las Vegas because he was on his way to California it's like he'd apparently he spent after his time with Terry he allegedly and we say allegedly because you know they kind of leave it up to you know our imagination because we only get to when he's trying to get to California but allegedly between yeah but allegedly between hooking up with Terry and hitchhiking to California he had met up with an army buddy named Paul and so Paul's supposed to be his alibi which he needs because the cops end up pulling him over as he's trying to hitchhike. Like, they pull over to him and they, like, you know, stop and frisk him and then get him in the car. Oh, I was about to say, like, at one point, you know, they're like, okay, bend over, doing the typical, like, you know, having him bend over the hood of the car. And he's like, it's hot. Yeah, and it's only gonna get hotter. And it's like... (laughs) I love that line. Yeah, like, for a brief moment, this could have been an entirely different kind of film. But they bring him in and he speaks to Lieutenant White Eagle, who basically informs him, yeah, you're the primary suspect for a murder because Terry was found dead. And we know it's Terry because she still has that bedangle set bracelets of all of the combat medals. On her arm. And they just randomly bring it into the hotel room. Or I think it's the police station. Police station. Okay. Like, granted, you know, like, I doubt it was an actual police station they filmed him, so maybe that's why the format looked a little weird. True. And, I mean, the movie was shot over the course of only 10 days, so. Dang, that's quick. Right? I mean, you know, like, bare bones, it's relatively simple in terms of, like, the most complicated stuff was probably the car chases. Right. Which, because basically, he's the primary suspect. He says no, and instead of just, like, trying to get a lawyer or whatever, well, like, because well, first, you know, he's like, oh, call my buddy Paul. But conveniently, Paul, I guess, is also doing some, like, random Cold War espionage shit, because they try to reach out to Paul at the hotel room he was staying in and they were like there was nobody staying there by that name and then he's like oh yeah right my my buddy Paul he has a bunch of aliases and assumed names for his work with the army he's on a secret project and they want to hold him because they, they think that's bullshit yeah and apparently Jim had blood on one of his shirts which he claimed was from him falling out of like the army bus when he first got dropped off in Vegas and then apparently he stole that pistol? Yeah, he's got a pistol like, in his car. I'm and, fine with paying the fine. Yeah, like basically he was going to keep his army issued gun as a souvenir. But yeah, he, he's got he's giving a lot of sketchy vibes. It's completely understandable why the police don't believe him. And instead of, you know, like trying to get himself a lawyer or something, he kicks Lieutenant White Eagle in the freaking face. In the face? In like, a, I have a question. What? When I see this in movies a lot, when someone is being held on both ends by one guy on one side and then another guy on the other, and he lifts his entire body up to kick the guy in the face, when those other two guys, when, why are those two guys supporting his weight to allow him to do that? Well, because otherwise the stunt wouldn't work, right? (laughs) I, I doubt that's how it would go in real life. I was about to say, I think that's just one of those things that or if that movies was, love doing. Or if that was successful in real life, you'd think that they'd immediately let go and then even if the kick was successful, he'd like fall backwards onto his ass. But luckily he's given the dignity not to fall on his ass. He kicks the Lieutenant White legal in the face, grabs his stuff, and just makes a run for it. You know, totally innocent behavior. Yeah, and this is pretty much a long track of the police not being very good at their jobs. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because basically, you know, like, because he's staying just out from under their cat capture for, like, a good chunk of the film. But what, like... I was going to say, he rips out the phone at the police station. He shoots the tire on one of the cars. Maybe this is just me nitpicking, but maybe he should just try to shoot the radio piece so they couldn't radio. You'd think, you'd think. But, I mean, he does steal a cop car. Well, no, he steals his car first. 
No, he steals a cop car because okay. he has to drop. Because he ha- that's why later when he's down the road, he's got to ditch it. Yeah, but when he ditches it and he's changing his clothes, he like just fucking rips his shirt off. Not that there's anything much impressive underneath to show. It was, I it, it know. was a weird I, like intense gesture. I was not impressed by those titties, boy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not every actor has to have you know a dehydrated Marvel six pack by any stretch of the imagination, but it was just so weirdly like specific. Flat. Yeah, or, <laughs> I'm not gonna body shame the 1950s man. I am. <laughs> But like, so he rips off his shirt. The man's service is not impressive. And well, once he gets dressed and he ditches the car and he's going to try hitchhiking again, but he doesn't have to actually do that because there's already somebody pulled over having car troubles. It's two women, Mrs. Cummings and Susan. Now, Mrs. Cummings actually is played by Joan Bennett, who is probably more well known to horror fans as Madame Blanc from Suspiria. That was actually her last film role. No shit. Yeah. And that was later the role that, um, we watched that, didn't we? We watched the old version, then we watched the remake, and the remake has Tilda Swinton in it. Tilda Swinton. But yeah, so like once again, between this movie and Suspiria, Joan Bennett plays an intimidating like older woman who's in charge of an ingenue and as we're going to later find out doesn't necessarily have entirely pure intentions but for now we just know that you know she's this older lady with this younger gal and their little dog tiger who's like looks like a little terrier and is just like free roaming because they don't have the leash they keep making mention of the fact that the leash is missing and susan's later like oh what did i do with it i can't remember weren't you the last one who had it mrs cummings yeah like also, isn't that like a weird name to give to a dog, Tiger? I mean, because that's a cat name. That's something you name a cat, not a dog. You can name a dog anything, or maybe it's supposed to be Tiger. Like you know how sometimes, like especially back in like these older movies, you know, you'd call like kids Tiger. Like, hey, Tiger, let's go swing that bat and let's go, you know, like throw that pigskin or whatever. Okay. I guess. I mean, well, Tiger is not relevant for very long, unfortunately. Tiger lives about as long as Terry does in this movie. (laughs) So James offers to help them with their car troubles because they got the hood up, but they can't figure out how to fix it. And he's just like, hello, I am randomly helping. And, you know. Doing that 1950s helping women beside the road thing. I mean, okay. It's like, it's mostly the fact that he's doing it for a position of someone who is already clearly on foot. That's what would make it weird to me. Like, cause you know, like, you know, we've been in that situation before of being stuck on the side of the road, having to rely on, you know, the kindness of a stranger to like pull up and like, you know, help with our car. But at least that person was also in their car. Right. It would have been weirder if like, remember when we were stuck in the, or wait, no, you weren't there. I don't think so. No, you weren't. <laughs> uh, sorry. I was thinking of, it was, it was when I went spook housing with some high school friends and we got stuck in the ditch and- <laughs> quit laughing but like we got stuck in the ditch and this random guy with like his minivan full of kids like because they just come back from like some um, sports thing or whatever and help jack up the car but it would have been weirder if that guy had just randomly walked up from the road if he had just emerged from the trees (laughs) but susan's not getting bad vibes she's like oh you know maybe if we're lucky you know he'll need a ride like (laughs) it's like you have barely spoken to this man And like, you know, not to shit on another woman's taste, but, you know, of all the random guys to walk out from the desert, I'm sure there are more attractive ones. He was okay. He's fine. Okay, for the lengths that she goes to, he is not hot enough. (laughs) The script didn't know that. Yeah, (laughs) But yeah, but unfortunately, yeah, as he's trying to help fix the car, he helps get the car fixed, and before they head off, Tiger runs out of the road and gets killed. They don't show it, you know, there's no, they don't get graphic with that. It's just, you know, you see the car come and you see the dog and then you hear the... Like, they do a discretion shot away. (sighs) He he outlived his usefulness. I cannot believe this dog died so quickly. I, Probably because they didn't want to deal with the dog for too long. True, true. Set. I mean, they do always say, you know, it's like rule one of Hollywood is never work with kids or pets. <laughs> but I honestly think that the dog should have stayed just a little longer, if only because he ends up taking them hostage. And I feel like Susan being less condemning of him and more willing to believe that he's innocent would have made more sense if we'd had more moments showing him not just being a guy threatening people with a gun. Right, because for a lot of this film, he's just 
threatening these two broads. There, there should have been way more. <laughs> there should have been way more moments of him being like kind, like to either them or to random people that they're encountering or to the dog. But yeah, we just don't get that. So like, it's just that Susan's got this gut feeling that he's legit. Oh yeah, we also forget that cops try to talk to the two ladies while they're pulled over, while Jim is working on the car. But he manages to like stay hunched over, like working on the car so they don't see his face. He gets away with a lot just by virtue of not turning around. <laughs> and being does, a white boy. Because he also does that when they go to a diner. Because yeah, because initially when he hasn't taken them hostage yet and he's still just posing as a hitchhiker... Like, just random old hitchhiker that's, you know, like, hey, let's go over to the diner. And they go to the diner. I love the waitress because, like, she just fucking throws the menus at their table. <laughs> she gives absolutely zero fucks. This lady, <laughs> she's chewing the scenery. I mean, I guess she has to before she ultimately gets demeaned by men in the movie. Because then some, some more cops show up. And again, all this guy has to do is, as he's sitting at the table, he just doesn't turn around. He just talks to them without turning around. That much. Without he kind of turns around to like a little Cause, bit. Because this is before that, this is before the, the police have been able to disseminate his photo. Right. And so like, he's just trying to not act too suspicious. But Mrs. Cummings and Susan, as soon as the cops say, oh yeah, yeah, there's like a, there's a strap killer running around because that's how- As a hitchhiker. Because that's how Terry was killed. She was strangled, seemingly strangled with a strap. And of course, this is back when strap meant something very different because every time they kept saying strap killer, I kept just thinking of a strap on. <laughs> Which I suppose you could kill someone with, but that would be much more difficult. Just bludgeon them to death with a dildo. <laughs> or, or no, 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 because then you would just be a dildo killer. I feel like you'd have to bludgeon them while still wearing it on like, you know, the piece that goes on your pelvis. So it would just be like pelvic thrust. You Diamond encrusted cod piece. Oh God. <laughs> He manages to evade, like, being noticed by the cops at the diner. One of the cops randomly just, like, right in the middle of the conversation, just, like, ass slaps the waitress. And I'm like, Sabrina didn't well, catch that. Well, because, like, it's it's not like, you know, the camera zooms in on her butt or, like, makes it a fan service moment. But, like, it just, like, because it, it comes by so quick and it's, like, it's kind of from the side. Like, it's as he's passing her by, just, like, whap. And, like, because we had to rewind it because I, I heard like, it. Really? Come on, guy. And she doesn't even have, like, much of a reaction, poor thing. Like, other well, than, like, kind of a, uh, like... Well, I think we all know why. Who yeah. is she going to report it to? The cops? Right, I know. <laughs> I know. But I feel like if they were going with the angle of, oh, Susan trusts him because ev all the other guys around her are much worse, I don't think that was the intention. Or if that was, if that was the intention, they didn't convey it well because that's, like, the one moment where it feels like the misogyny was probably supposed to be a moment of, like, oh, hey, these guys are being kind of trashy or that's the vibe I get. The, these cops don't give off sympathetic vibes. It's like they leave the diner and the cops are like, well, just be careful because there's a strap killer on the loose. You know, be careful who you pick up as hitchhikers. That's when Mrs. Cummings and Susan are like, oh, maybe we should leave him behind, but they can't because he has the keys. Yep. And on top of that, Susan is so wishy-washy. Honestly, I'm kind of on Mrs. Cummings' side on yeah, this. Yeah, Mrs. Cummings, like, I, I fully support women's rights and wrongs. <laughs> and like up until the end, um, up until like the latter end of the film, most of most of Mrs. Cummings' wrongs are still kind of right. Because it's like, let's ditch this guy. He's sketchy. For now, she's cooperating only because now they're like, oh my God, we're being held hostage by this guy. And it's kind of this tense, like everybody's kind of like on the same wavelength of, I know that you guys kind of know, but you know, I'm not going to actually be waving around the gun yet. yet. Because then they go to the, the, the court... It's, it's, it's actually, the sign says it's a quarantine inspection zone, which, and you know, it's the kind of thing like, you know, where they're like, oh, do you got any, you know, fruits? And cause they're crossing the border from Nevada into California. And I thought that was weird because I've traveled internationally once and you know, when, for international borders, there's that kind of thing. I did not expect that to be a thing within the U S borders, like just between state borders, but I looked it up and that actually is a thing. And it's still a thing nowadays though. They don't call them quarantine inspection zones anymore. They, it's called California border. Border protection stations. See, I saw the word quarantine and had a, and it reminded me of COVID, but I was like, no. We're, we're, we're bringing our own like modern baggage into it. Right. He almost gets caught at the quarantine station, but he lucks out because there's some other guy who's also a, a veteran who's also got like a suitcase full of Marine stuff. And because he's acting more belligerent, he's all like, I told you, this is my sister's car. Huh? You don't believe me? Oh, what do you mean I got to 
open the trunk and he's just being such a freaking asshole that of course you know when they see and so of course then when they see that you know he's got army stuff in his bag and they're all like oh were you in Las Vegas last night spending time with any women it's like yeah and I got the empty wallet to prove it was she alive when you left her he she wasn't alive when I was with her it's like he is uh, uh. so luckily it is strong in this film <laughs> at least that guy you, you get the vibe that he's once again like him and that one cop i feel like are meant to be assholes our hero is only slightly better yeah because at one point it's like oh it's surprised that the killer could make it this far oh police are human just like anyone else and the police officer questions mrs cummings okay who are you who's susan she works for you okay and what about that third chap and then that's when the other marine interrupts and the cop forgets to follow up on that question forgets to ask who what's the deal with the dude and just well, like, like Mrs. here's Cumming, your registration well go Mrs. about Cumming, your business mrs coming provides us uh, provides an alias for him because and that's kind of the first sign we get that it's like hmm dun dun you know, maybe she has her own agenda because you'd think that would have been the moment where she could have easily turned him over. Right. But, but she's like, oh, his name's uh, James Johnson. Yep. She provides the alias and before, you know, she can come up with, you know, like a cover story for him as to his, you know, it's like, oh, and does he work for you too? The Marine interrupts. And then we get another like, oh, you know, almost, almost, but not quite moment because... The cop ends up running out like, oh, wait, wait, ma'am. You know, and it, it's like, you forgot your California traveler card. <laughs> if you stay at California longer than 30 days, you got to get California tags. That's a thing. At least back then. I don't know if that's still a thing now. That's crazy. <laughs> that it was a thing. But like at one point, Susan is explaining to James the part of the reason why she, you know, like kind of buys that he could be innocent is that she's like, oh, well, you know, a guilty guy wouldn't be able to get past all those cops like that. Oh, you sweet summer child. You have not been listening to enough true crime podcasts, have you? But yeah, it's like, oh, surely a guilty person couldn't, you know, be sociable around police officers. It's like, again, she is like so naive to the point of frustration. (laughs) And ultimately she's proven right because like we do end up finding out who Terry's killer is actually is because it gets to the point where they finally go to so uh, mrs cunningham is a photographer and susan's her model and they were on the road because they were going to like a photo shoot at a hotel and when they're at the hotel and by that point the cops have gotten james's photo in the papers you know all the strap killers you know, still at large you know if anybody sees him you know report him so it's at the hotel where we find out why mrs cummings didn't just rat him out at the quarantine inspection zone like she could have it's because even though you know she says that she's pretty sure that he's the killer she doesn't want to be associated with the case like they're hoping they can still somehow just like ditch him instead of like reporting him directly to the cops because she actually has a connection to terry smith terry smith fooled around with her husband and apparently the the tryst didn't end well because Mr. Cunningham committed suicide. And because she's like, I don't want to be tied to this case because, you know, like the, the the police are going to question us. And, you know. If it gets out in the papers, then it's going to ruin my reputation. It's going to ruin my reputation that my husband not only cheated on me, but then got his heart broken so badly by this woman that he cheated on me with that he died by suicide. But then also she's like, or what if they think that I'm now the new prime suspect because I had the person perfect motive to murder her and i was also in vegas last night dun 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 and it's at this point though that you know he does start waving waving the gun around at them because at one point like they try to call in because you know the paper's on the table and you know they try to invite in someone else into the hotel room because the door knocks and he's all like what the fuck are you doing and it's like oh play cool play cool and like this fucking guy this This goof this hotel guy this hotel guy with like this little like cowboy top that's got like little flowers on it <laughs> and like little bedazzled flowers and he's got glasses and he's straight up such lo- a bumble butt yeah he is a bumble butt and he looks at the picture on the paper and looks at james and does not make the connection he's like yeah i could spot him anywhere i'll be right back jim yeah because by that point their their official backstory for jim is that he's another assistant and later a cop questions mr bumble and is like have you seen this man Wait, yes, I have. In the paper. <laughs> this Bumble, oh my gosh. He needs to get updated his prescription on his glasses. Dang, boy. This guy has face blindness real bad. <laughs> 
And, you know, for the time being, James is, you know, trying to keep with the cover story that, yep, I'm another photographer's assistant or whatever. But he's still, like, at one point, you know, he's all like, oh, you know, you gotta be careful, you know, because sometimes guns could just go off. He is being way too menacing to be sympathetic. At least to me. Which, you know, if the movie had, like, gone a different direction, that would have been fine. But because they end up going with the direction that him and Susan are gonna hook up, it's just like, why? What does she see in him? Does she secretly have, like, a kidnapping fetish? I mean, not to kink shame, but it's like, girl, you do that in, you, you, you pretend to do that with a consenting partner. You don't, like, actually, like, do that with an actual, like, criminal on the run. She's, yeah. got, she's got a sprinkling of the hybristophilia. <laughs> hybristophilia? That's that thing where, like, women who get turned on by violent crimes. So, like, the, the kind of women that, like, write to serial killers in prison. Oh, okay. Yeah, this lady totally has a bad case of hybristophilia because it's like, what is your deal, lady? What are you seeing in him? Man, it must have been all that cocaine you did back in the 50s. (laughs) Cocaine was in the 50s. That would have been more the 80s. I mean, I guess there was cocaine in the 50s. Well, like, no, no, no. This was during that period where it wasn't in the Coca-Cola anymore. (laughs) But the businessmen hadn't gotten a hold of it to snort while they listened to Huey Lewis in the news, you know? (laughs) <laughs> so finally, Mr. Carson, who's the bumblebutt with the glasses that clearly don't work, he finally gets the memo when, because at this point... Miss Cummings is Ms. able to Ms. write down on a slide that Jim is the strap killer and... Because by that point, her and Susan have agreed because, you know, Susan's like, oh, we can turn him in and I promise I won't say anything about your husband. You know, like, we can just play dumb and act like we have no clue who Terry Smith is because seemingly the only people who know the connection between Terry Smith and Mrs. Cummings are Mrs. Cummings and Susan. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And Susan's like, I promise I won't tell. You know, we can just turn him in, even though he's handsome. And even though, like, I'm literally posing in front of the mirror at one point, just being all like, oh, well, you know, like, I'm skinny enough. Why can't I find a man? Like, taking stock is what she said. Yeah, she's taking stock of her measurements. It's like, why hasn't Senpai noticed me? And so they do, like, there's that constant tension of them kind of going back and forth as to, like, yeah, we'll turn him in. Yeah, we want, like, da 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 da. And she's being so wishy-washy. So wishy-washy. Mrs. Bennett, in general, like, once she thinks that it's not going to tie her back to Terry Smith, is like, yeah, let's fuck him up. So she, like, writes on the little slide for the camera, oh, hey, Jim is the strap-on killer, and she is like, oh, you know, Mr. Carson, can you put this new slider into the camera box? And he's like, yeah, sure. And then he sees it. And he And he finally puts it together. Out. Yeah, he freaks out. Because he's just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And so and she's like, and so hey, then, didn't so you, Mrs. Cummings, yeah. Mrs. Cummings is like, didn't you have like a life jacket, like a little lifesaver that was specially painted in the office? A life preserver. A life a life preserver. Life in the, office? the candy. Meh. Meh, indeed. <laughs> it's like, why don't you go to your office to grab that light preserve that life preserver? Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, of course. So he goes to the office, calls the police, and they decide, like, before they can get more reinforcements, the ones that are already in the area set up a blockade around the hotel. But before they are able to show up. Before reinforcements are able to show up. Because now Mr. Carson freaks out. She's like, he's like going to, like, to each person in the hotel being like, the strap killer's here, here. but don't freak out. The strap killer's here, but don't freak out because the cops are on their way. The strap killer's here. And he just keeps doing that. Like, the strap killer's here, the strap killer's here. Turns around to someone else. The strap killer's here. He says that to James. Because again, this man is face blind. And on top of that, it's like, way to keep it on the down low, bro. Right, and like that wasn't, like even if he hadn't straight up said it to James' face, that would have probably caused a panic. Right! And then Jim was going to notice it that way too. Yeah, so then Jim takes Mrs. Cummings and Susan. They flee the scene. He has to- Switch cars. Switch cars. And we get the bit from the poster. They drive through the police barricade. Yeah. And he bangs up the car in doing so because he runs over a couple of motorcycles- yeah, and then, like, they try to make a stop up at the gas station, but then they end up having to, unfortunately, delay the delivery of delicious ice cream. Because he has to make an ice cream truck block the road at the gas station. And before they then set off into the desert, and there's a point where the car starts to get overheated. Because of the previous motorcycle crash. Not only because of that, but also because they're driving out in the middle of the desert. They are off-road, and in a car that was clearly not meant to be off-road. And Mrs. Cummings 
tries to kill him because he's like outside of the car. He's got the hood open. He's trying to look inside and she's like, we could just like fucking change the gear shift and the car will go forward and he smush. And Susan's like, no, human life. Again, he has not done enough, like, kind or sweet things to warrant this kind of mercy. Right! Like, the most he's done is, like, not shoot them or assault them physically or sexually. That's it. Like... The bar is in hell. The bar is in hell. He doesn't seem to notice that first attempt. Because then, you know, he's like, okay, great, it's cooled down. And he gets back into the car. And Mrs. Cummings is just kind of looking at Susan like, what the fuck, bitch? (laughs) But then later on, the car... Get stuck. That gets like, stuck. And as he's trying to like push it, she tries to back it into him. And Susan is, is like, like watch out. And so then he's able to like dodge, but he like bonks his head briefly, just long enough for Mrs. Cummings and Susan to have a conversation without him overhearing, where she's like, what the heck? You know, like he's literally kidnapped us. He's taken us out into the desert. We'd be better off if he's dead. And Susan's like, no, because sanctity of human life. And also, I think I might kind of love him, but I'm confused. And. I think at this point she's starting to question Mrs. Cummings. Right. Well, okay, but but it's one of those things where like I wish there was some sort of I feel like she should have questioned Mrs. Cummings for a different reason because like Mrs. again Mrs. Cummings is being rational right now it's like this man kidnapped us I want to kill him in what most courts would define as self-defense right I again it feels like we haven't established enough moments of James being nice in order to understand why she'd sympathize with him more and likewise I feel like we haven't had enough moments of Mrs. Cummings being sketchy to justify why she distrusts Mrs. Cummings right like it again I kind of wish Tiger the dog had lived a little longer because it would have been telling if you'd had like enough time for everybody to bond together as a group and then Tiger dies and then show that it hits James harder than Mrs. Cummings Right. Now, granted, maybe it's because they were trying to preserve the twist, which, you know, in case you didn't figure, Mrs. Cummings is the killer. Because at some point it turns into night. Well, because Mrs. Cummings basically, Mrs. Cummings more like Mrs. Goings, because once she's like, well, Susan, if you're not going to help me kill this guy, then you can stay in the desert with him. And she takes the car and drives off. And then Susan's able to wake up James and they're like, I skipped ahead. My bad. That's okay. They're like, well, we'll just keep walking. And then they do end up finding the car again. It burnt itself out again. And Mrs. Cummings wasn't able to get the car kicking again. And they're not able to get the car revived either. So they're like, well, now Mrs. Cummings is stuck out somewhere in the desert. And so it starts to become night. They light a fire. Because that is one moment where you could say that James is, you know, being nicer because he's like, yeah, it alerts my location to the cops potentially. But it also means that Mrs. Cummings could potentially find us so she doesn't die in the desert alone. Right. So... But that's like the one, like, altruistic thing he's done. And that's like... Halfway into More the than film? halfway through the movie. He explains to Susan that his reason for wanting to go to California is because Paul, the buddy that he met up with who then conveniently disappeared, Paul's helping him fix up his old family house. Now that he's finished his service in Korea, he wants to go back home and raise the foundation on his old family home at Salton Sea because it periodically floods when the tide comes in. Like, he describes it as having four feet of water. We'll get, to, we'll get to how much water actually seems to be visible by the time that we get there. <laughs> but he claims that, like, at its highest, it can flood up to four feet of water inside. But Paul was allegedly going to, like, after they'd had their little meetup in Las Vegas, they were going to meet up again in California because Paul was helping him with the renovations. And so he's like, I have to get to California to meet up with Paul because I mean, if I'm able to get back in touch with Paul, he can get in touch with the cops and explain the whole situation and then I'll finally have my alibi. And that's where we get the... The border shell bit. The border shells are like love and it's so stupid. <laughs> Like, what do you two know about each other? That is one of the greatest lines ever. (laughs) I'm gonna say that at her wedding. (laughs) Better fucking not. (laughs) So then Mrs. Cummings does finally meet back up with them. But we see her while Susan is messing with the fire. And James has gone off to like, cause I think he's going to go. Car. Yeah. He's like, Oh, let me go try with the car again. Or Oh, maybe let me grab more wood. It's like, Oh, let me do some random manly thing to be out of frame long enough to not overhear shit again. Mrs. Bennett shows up, but she initially comes up with the dog leash, the dog leash that was allegedly missing. 
and she almost makes it look like she's gonna strangle Susan, but then Susan turns around like, Mrs. Cummings, there you are, yay! And so the Mrs. Cummings has to like quickly put it behind her back. Oh, hello there, dear. <laughs> Another thing that does not help James's case is previously when he was talking to Susan and he's like, I didn't kill Terry. I only bought her a drink. Bitch, I bet you did more than buy her a drink. Because she kissed him and like, I don't know, I just didn't do not get the vibe that he didn't, you know, in and out a little. I'm just saying that, you know, and if Terry's been with as many people as the movie claims, Susan better get that boy tested, is all I'm saying. (laughs) For real. I don't think Planned Parenthood was a thing then, though, so... Uh, that's going to be a really fun question for your doctor, for your PCP. Oh, God. <laughs> now, let me set the record straight. I am not slut-shaming. Least of all, I'm not slut-shaming Terry. I'm more, like, if, if I'm slut-shaming anybody, I'm slut-shaming James and the other, like, military guys that Terry hooked up with before her passing because, let's face it, you know, military guys are not really the celibate type. You know, they're getting stationed all over the world. They're hooking up with local girls. They're hooking up with each other. It's to be expected. I'm not saying, you know, that there's necessarily anything wrong with that as long as everybody's being safe and consensual. But I guess it just irks me that, like, it's okay for James to have an implied sexual and romantic history, but not Susan. Like, James gets to, you know, chat up Terry at the bar, buy her a drink, kiss her, allegedly not do anything else, but I'm pretty sure that's not the case. I'm sure they, you know, did more than kiss. But... Susan is not allowed to do that with, like, an equivalent guy, you know? She gets to be the sweet little ingenue, the sweet little innocent girl. Was an ingenue? <laughs> like, okay, I'm kind of borrowing terms from, like, theater. So, like, the ingenue is like, oh, you know, she's fresh on the stage. Like, Christine from Phantom of the Opera. Like, all wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and like, oh, boy, I get to take the leading part because I'm the understudy, that kind of vibe. Okay, so with Susan being portrayed as an a bright, innocent girl. And it's just like, and I just am annoyed because like, I feel like she's so out of place for something that should be a noir film. <laughs> like, I'm not saying you can't have bright-eyed people who then get thrown into dark shit in noir movies, but just like, she's not even on the poster. The poster made it come off like, you know, it was primarily just going to be James and Mrs. Cummings. And I think there's a version of this movie where it could have been a really dark, effed up kind of like sexy thriller of like, oh, you know, well, they both maybe are hiding secrets and like they both have something to do with this dead woman and who's gonna, you know, screw over the other person first. Oh, that tension would have been amazing. And I mean, that was implied based on the poster. Susan's not even on the poster. That's why I called, that's why I called Mrs. Cummings. Star-Lord is trying to escape again. Ugh. Escape into the bedroom so she could rub her butt all over my pillows. <laughs> well, you do have the nicer pillowcases. <laughs> no, she does it because she loves me so much. I am her mama because we both have respiratory problems. I just, like with Mrs. Cummings, I feel like, you know, there's also an implied history with her, which I kind of wish was explored more in terms of the husband and the husband's connection to Terry. Because they mentioned that Terry used to be a model. And so I'm like, there's a version of this movie where we could find out that like, oh, maybe Mrs. Cummings was a photographer for Terry. And that's how Terry met Mrs. Cummings' husband. And like, why did he kill himself after his liaison with Terry? Was she threatening to blackmail him? Did she just legitimately break his heart? Was he embarrassed and thought it was going to ruin his reputation. Like, there's just a lot of meat that I wish this movie would dig into, but it doesn't in favor of hooking up this grizzled man who makes very questionable decisions with this sweet little ingenue and not even being a noir at any point, at, at, at that point, in my opinion. Yeah, honestly... Susan, what's the word I'm looking for? She really just kills the vibe. <laughs> Yeah, she's such a third wheel. There's a better version of this movie where it's just James and Mrs. Cummings. Either that, either keep him as is and just have it be him and Mrs. Cummings and like have it just be they're both effed up and they're like constantly at odds but also constantly drawn together. You know, like a lot of noir couples where it's like, you know, the grizzled guy and the femme fatale. Or have it where if you're gonna hook him up with this sweet, nice girl, have him do some more sweet, nice things. Right, because all he really does is... He offers to bury the dog 
He, he lights fixes the, the car. He fixes the car. He lights the fire when that could reveal him to the cops. You know what I realized? I should have thought of this sooner. You know what I realized he should have done as another like, oh, show that he's actually, you know, a nice guy is, and granted, maybe you'd have to change around the choreography of it, of how the scene plays out. But when they were at the diner and the cops slaps the diner's ass, you could have had it where the like- The ass? The diner's ass? <laughs> <laughs> maybe he did on the, the way out. The modification of the diner. His ass. He walked outside, went around back, and just slapped the back of the building. <laughs> I presume that's the diner's ass is where is the side of the building where the exit is. <laughs> Following anatomical correctness. You know that's Who knows? Why couldn't the ass of a building be on like the side? Why does it have to be the back? Because <laughs> that's the exit and the anus is the exit. That's where all the garbage goes. <laughs> Wait, does that mean to ask the dumpster? <laughs> the dumpster outside. He'd have to go and slap the dumpster outside and some, like, possums and armadillos would pop out. I've heard of a dump truck ass, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, have, like, a basic version of, you know, that scene of, like, oh, the cops come. They don't realize that he's the guy. They're pigs, sexist pigs, pigs in general, but also sexist pigs, and then leave and then maybe you could have it where, like, James slips her, like, of 20 or a 50, you know, as a big tip. It's like, oh, hey, ma'am, almost forgot to tip you. Gosh, you have to deal with some of the worst clientele out here, don't you? Or something like that. Endear me to this man. All I know is that this man, upon getting, like, put into police custody, instead of keeping his mouth shut and just calling up a lawyer, he just starts kicking people and runs away. Because that totally doesn't look Suspicious. sus as fuck. Right, because it's like, if he's got all these army connections, surely they're not going to let him, you know, like, fry for this random woman. You know, it would have been one thing if this had been part of a larger conspiracy, and that's why everybody was allowing him to be the fall guy. But it just seems like it was all just a series of misunderstandings. And it's like, dude, you have military connections, and you are white. You can get through this without having to go on the run. But if we do that, we don't, have, we a don't have a movie. I know, I'm, I'm okay with him going on the run. I just want more, I want more justification Reasons. for him going on the run first instead of like exhausting other options. True enough. But yeah, but while he's out like trying to mess with the car, catching firewood, Mrs. Cummings shows back up and her and Susan are kind of talking and Susan's just all like, oh yeah, and we're going to meet up with the army buddy and we're going to get this all sorted out. Don't you worry. And Mrs. Cummings is like, oh, that's nice. It's trying to like lean over and reach for the gun. She's not able to get a hold of a gun because then Susan's like, oh, I think he got the car started back up and she like grabs the gun. Oh, let's go hop into the car. And you see Mrs. Cummings drop the leash into the fire. Mm-hmm. Convenient for her. And so then finally they get to the almost titular house in the sea. And he's like, well, this is my stop. You guys can go up ahead and like, you know, go to the phone booth or, you know, hitch a ride or whatever, you know, like, I don't need you guys anymore. I don't need you as he's hostages like, anymore. oh, go two miles this way, Turk, take a left and they'll take you back to the highway. Yeah, like he's basically like, I officially free you as my hostages. <laughs> but then of course, Susan follows him. Susan's like, oh, Gosh, oh, so smitten Jim. It's like, ooh, I want to see this house. It's like, oh, you better be careful. It's wet. And so then he carries her into the house. Now, interestingly enough, so the way that they achieved that effect of like the house being flooded is that it was like a soundstage and there was like a rim of metal around it to hold in the water, which Roger Corman described as being like only a few inches of water. In fairness, it like, okay, it's definitely less than four feet, as originally described by James. I would say, though, it looks like more than a few inches, at least to me. Right. It's higher than what Roger Corman made it sound like after the fact, but it's definitely not as high as we were, like, built up to during the fireside scene. And I can only imagine how weird oh their shoes must have all felt afterwards. Sand and water and blood. Well, there wouldn't have been sand on a soundstage. Okay, not, not on the soundstage, but... But once they get to the beach, because, yeah, like, you could tell the exterior shots they did film at a beach, but then the interior shots inside the house was the soundstage. Oh, yeah. And what's that comment that Susan made? is like, oh, I'll be in the kitchen, you stay out of it, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, like, she's already looking at this, like, this is gonna be my home, and it's like, bitch, the mold. <laughs> the, the mold, the man, there are so many problems here. <laughs> Oh, honey. Oh, dearie. Oh, 
you're just what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, she was out in the desert too long. The heat stroke got to her brain. Pretty much. <laughs> of course, Paul's not there. There's like a note pinned to the wall. It's like, oh, hey, the brass called me in for another super secret assignment. You know, I bet with their luck, he was like trying to kill Castro or something. <laughs> like, because what else would he be doing these secret missions if not like Cold War stuff? It's 1954. I don't know what this boy is supposed to be doing. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what he's doing. He, he's performing the role of Sir Not Appearing in this film. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it saves you on casting Actor. another person. Yeah. Speaking of casting, and I'm very sad because I thought he'd play a bigger role, but when I was just looking up cast members for the film and seeing if I could find interesting tidbits, there is one actor that is credited as Steve, and I don't know if they even name drop his name in the film. As far as I can tell, I think, because I kept trying to look for him, and I think I spotted him in the background of one of the cop scenes. He's like a cop who, when they realize that, oh, James is on his way to his family home in California, oh, you know, what do you think we'll find there? And this one cop with, like, especially thick eyebrows is like, no, you're not gonna find anything there but fish, because, you know, the house is flooded. But I believe, because I tried to look up other pictures of him to compare, it's like, is that you? Is that you? That character, if that's Steve, that means that is House Peters Jr., the original Mr. Clean. Before I'm his, sorry, what? Before Mr. Clean was a cartoon, he was a person, played by House Peters Jr., and I'm pretty sure it was that one cop saying that there was, they're not gonna find anything there but fish. Oh my god. <laughs> now, now you know why I was, why there was like Mr. Clean music playing like on my phone while you were like taking a nap. It's because I was trying to look up old commercials with him. Um. Such as this one. Excuse me, lady, but floor cleaning doesn't have to be that tough. Listen, mister, I know a little more about floor cleaning than you do. Now, would you be moving your big foot so I can get home sometime tonight? You, Mr. Clean, can get your work done faster. Faster? Much faster. Of all leading cleaners, Mr. Clean is now the most powerful ever put into a bottle. Well, seeing is believing. What? You, Mr. Clean, cleans faster. Floors, walls, doors, faster than other liquid cleaners. Beautiful. And you're going to like new Mr. Clean's unbreakable plastic bottle. Mr. The way you talk about new Mr. Clean, you should be on TV. You know, I think I have seen him on TV. Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. But yeah, I was hoping he would play a bigger role, but alas, no. no. I, I don't even know if Mr. Clean could have cleaned up that house, though. Right. I mean, at least it's salt water. I guess that would make it a little better. Like, maybe there'd be less algae. Well, except plants still grow in salt water, so I don't know. I don't know either. And it's like, you're going to need four inches of Mr. Clean to get rid of all that you're gonna have water to, damage. You're, you're going to have to make a boat out of the Mr. Clean magic erasers. <laughs> oh my gosh. But That is crazy. But they get in there and they're having like a cute moment and they're like, oh shucks, Paul's not here. And so not only is your alibi not there, but Lieutenant White Eagle is there. He, he was there waiting. He's like, okay, I'm going to arrest you. But then He's... Mrs. Cummings shows up and shoots him. Yeah, because what happened is the sheriff is like, put the gun by the sink. Yeah, it's like. So she grabs the gun by the sink and shoots the sheriff. Yeah, because like. She... I shot the sheriff. But... <laughs> Well, Did no, not he, shoot no deputy. Well, technically, he's a lieutenant. Lieutenant. Uh, I shot I he was the a lieutenant. That's too many syllables for me. <laughs> but yeah, because initially we think that either she was waiting in the car or she was going up the road to, you know, be done with all this bullshit. But no, she snuck around the other side and gets the drop on White Eagle. And they're all like, why the heck did you do that? It's like, oh, he clearly died in a gunfight with the escaped killer. You know, good thing he's dead, though. Good thing they both killed each other. And oh, Susan died too. Oh, too bad. Nobody knows about my connection to Terry Smith, who I killed. 
who I for sure killed. She tries to shoot, but then runs out of bullets. Yeah, apparently. She, apparently she used the last couple. There were there wasn't a full cartridge in the gun, so either it jams or it's out of bullets. I think out of bullets though, because I think that what did they show her whether it was a clip or a revolver? I think it was a clip. Okay, so it could have just jammed, but especially in such a wet environment. Right. She then, tries to run away. She tries to run away. James runs after her. So now they're out of the house. So we didn't even get the house in the sea for very long. And I think if the movie had been done in color, well, except you couldn't have gone away with too much blood in the 50s. If the movie were remade nowadays, you could at least, like, hopefully you could have more watershed effects for the house itself but also if it were in color and if you could get away with you know modern blood effects you could at least have like an interesting visual of like you know white eagle falling into the water and the water now being red right with the blood but yeah like he's just kind of floating (laughs) susan's trying to help him up yeah susan's trying to like help him up trying to scoop him out while james is chasing after mrs cummings james and mrs cummings are on the beach and she's and running. She's, she's trying like, to escape on this like wooden plank. Because there's bridge. like there's like a couple of like mini bridges basically like trying to attach the different dry-ish areas. And she like tries to do that, but then she falls into the water. Also, bless Joan Bennett's heart. She had a long and prolific career, so I am not blaming her. But you could tell that like she's trying to act like the water is deeper than it is. Cause they have to be like, oh no, there's quicksand. Oh no, I'm getting stuck. It's like, honey. You're fine. Like, (laughs) again, credit to her. It's not her fault. The movie, you know, was made on a cheap budget. So, like, again, nowadays you could probably do some sort of practical effect to make it more convincing that she is stuck in the sand. I don't even think we see her dress get dirty. That much. Yeah, and and it's a white dress. (laughs) You'd think just from being in that murky-ass seawater that it would be, like, just completely ruined. And there, she's like, help me, help me. Help me, I'm sinking. It's like, oh, well, don't struggle or you'll sink faster. It's like, come on, please. But then he's like, I'm not going to save you until you admit that you killed Terry. Because now the other cups are coming up. And she's like, I didn't kill her. Okay, cool. I'll just let you sink then. Wait, 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 wait. Because she doesn't realize that the cops are coming over the hill. She thinks she's about to die in the quicksand. It's like, yes, I killed her. I strangled her with the dog leash. And yeah, you were going to let me fry for it. It's like, she had it coming after what she did to my husband. Again, I I know at this point I shouldn't be sympathizing with Mrs. Cummings. Honestly, I kind of do. If if she had only been screwing over James and not Susan, I kind of would have like. But then again, Susan's being stupid and falling for this random schmuck. So like, <laughs> I feel like you would have to really make James a lot more likable if this ever got remade for like Mrs. Cummings to not be still a little bit sympathetic in my eyes. At the very least, you know, she slays. (laughs) So we must stand. Stand. But yeah, she admits to the murder. The cops hear it. The cops hear it. And so then she's like, well, go ahead and get me out of the quicksand. I'm going to die. It's like, no, you won't. You're not going to sink much farther. There's concrete under there. And he walks off. Yeah. (laughs) Presumably to get apprehended by the cops. White Eagle is fine. Apparently she didn't hit anything vital. And one of the other cops there is like, okay, well, even if, you know, he, we're not like arresting him for the murder anymore. He's still like, you know, committed, you know, like Grand Grand Theft Theft Auto, Auto, kidnapping, like taking government property because he still has that army issued gun, you know, all sorts of property damage. But White Eagle is just like, oh, I think he's going to get off scot-free for that. What? Why? We're going to lose our star witness. What do you mean? A wife can't be forced to testify against her husband. Because now James and Susan are embracing and they're like walking off together. And it's like, oh, come on. For real. Okay. (laughs) This is the, ironically speaking, this was an amazing love story. (laughs) Okay. It's it's amazing for all the wrong reasons. Right. Also, no offense. Even if Susan isn't made to testify, there's all of the like bystanders. There's, you know, the people at the hotel. There's the people at the gas station. There's the guy who's, you know, like ice cream truck on its tires shot out. Right. There's plenty of people, like, I don't buy that he'd get off completely scot-free. I could see, like, maybe he only has to pay some fines, maybe do some community service, but, like, it was too squeaky clean a resolution. A little bit. I agree. Because it's like, uh, you know, he, you know, if he was black, he would not have gotten away with that. Okay, if he were black, he would have just been shot on sight. But now comes the ultimate determination. Where does this fall 
on the trash spectrum because you know we here in the Corman catacombs believe that you know trash much like gender is not a binary mm-hmm. so there's four main regions of the trash spectrum if it's so bad that it's bad it's bad trash if it's so bad that it's good it's good trash if it's so good that it's fine it's non-trash and if it's so good that it's great it is anti-trash then it turns into a dumpster diamond exactly so i would say this film is definitely trash if it hadn't if the straight agenda had not taken this film hostage partway through if it had stayed more of like a thriller instead of turning into a love story i think i would have like put it solidly in non-trash territory like with the gunfighter but because of it like taking that hard turn and like trying to pivot into a love story that i just do not find convincing it's bad But the question is, you know, so bad that it's good or so bad that it's bad? I can't say I had a bad time watching it. Yeah, it was fun riffing on it. Like, because that'd be my ultimate determination of bad trash versus good trash. You know, did I have a good time? Would I watch this again? Yeah, probably. With the right people. You know, like, next time maybe some drinks, but... (laughs) Would, Would you agree or... Or do you have a different take? Uh, yeah, no, this is good trash because it was fun to watch. It was fun to make fun of it. I think it had good parts because I liked there were the thriller parts were good. Him being on the run and him having to stay one step ahead of the cops. Oftentimes by sheer luck. Right. And by being a white guy. Well, and also just <laughs> keeping his head down. You know, he wasn't like, you know, trying to be argumentative like the guy at the quarantine inspection station. Right. Just by keeping it cool. But yeah, like you said, the straight agenda, the whole, oh, you gotta fall in love at the end. It's like, oh my gosh, barf, it should have either, me. It should have either not turned into a love story or it should have better justified the love story. Right. I think you could have justified the love story or you could have, I think it just would have been easier just to cut the love story and just have it be like an ambiguous ending where, yes, he didn't get committed for the original murder, but now he's got a bunch of other charges he has to deal with. And and maybe the joke is that maybe she like, you know, shows up to visit him in prison or something. Right. Because maybe at the end... Like, hint that they trauma bonded a little, maybe. But again, I still feel like you would have to have him do more chivalrous or otherwise, like, endearing acts beforehand. He's just not very endearing. I don't hate him, but I don't love him either. Let's look at the list of things he does. He, I'm assuming he buries the dog for them. Because he's like, let me take care of it. Yeah, like, because when the dog dies and, like, we kind of get a POV shot where, like, it's kind of, you know, up from the ground and we just see them kind of looking down. It's like, oh, I'll take care of it. Like, And then... Buries the dog, probably not very deep because in that dry-ass desert dirt. Unless unless maybe there was, like, a sand dune. R.I.P. Tiger. He is now a part of the dunes. Sorry, Mr. Tiger. His howls will be heard on the desert wind. Oh, poor baby. He was probably already not having a good time because like those kinds of terriers, they're not like long haired, but he wasn't like short haired. I'm like that, that boy needed some kind of dorky like cut from the groomers yeah, to not be dying of heat. And then after burying the dog, he doesn't slap anyone's ass. Low bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's hot. Apparently, to Susan. I don't to, quite to see it. To each their own, but, oh, honey, you can do better. I was going to say something else. What was the... Okay, he makes the fire to Save find... Save Cummings. But that's it. He doesn't really do a whole lot A love to... story this does not make. No. Ah. <laughs> uh... Men. <laughs> I guess we'll see. We'll see if, if you know if there's romance in any future like movies that we cover. We'll see if and see you know, if, it, if it gets if the romance better. improves. But you know what we're finally getting to. So the film, you know, it wasn't like a runaway success, but it wasn't a flop either. It made enough money that Roger Corman, and you know, when he says it doesn't meet his vision, like yeah, I totes get it. You know, I feel like there could have been a way right. more epic version of the the waterlogged house. I mean, especially nowadays with global warming getting as bad as it is, you know, you wouldn't even have to make it a set. You could just like drive up to the coast, like. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! But that's depressing. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, but the money that he got from Highway Dragnet 
he put that towards funding his next film. And this is where we're finally going to get into some B-movie territory, like true B-movie, like we're going to get some rubber monsters. Yeah! Because, our, because the next film that we'll be covering is The Monster from the Ocean Floor. Ooh, I love monster movies so much! So stay tuned next time as we delve further into the catacombs. Yay! The Corman Catacombs is a production by Sabrina Stan and Robin Troy. Our podcast art and spooky tunes are by our good friend Elias. You can check out his artwork on Instagram at Don't Mind If I Doodle and Twitter at Don't Mind If I Do Too. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Corman Catacombs. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned as we journey further into the depths. Be sure to rate and review us. If you give us a five-star review, we may even read it on a future episode of the podcast and be sure to follow our social medias you can find us on tumblr twitter and instagram at corman catacombs if you would like to support us you can make a one-time donation on our ko-fi or you can share this podcast with a friend and just be sure not to stray too far or you'll be lost in the catacombs forever